Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and uh, thank you for coming in. We got a great guest for you today. Um, His name is Jonathan Bonnet, MD, and uh, he's a good friend of mine, um, and I'm so, so, so thrilled that he's here. Say hi to everyone, John. Hey, how are you guys doing? It's a pleasure to be here, and nice to speak with you as well, Colin. Yeah. John and I go way back, um, just to kind of give you a, a little bit of snippet. Uh, so Dr. Bonnet is a board-certified sports, obesity, and lifestyle medicine physician. Uh, right now, he's uh, pursuing his uh, master's in public health at Harvard, and he is doing it big. He has a background in exercise physiology and a certified personal trainer. So just, uh, you know, don't underestimate this guy. He is awesome, and he's a nice person in real life. So I'm super excited. We've uh, been really, really long time friends. Um, I wanted to go and touch upon um, your uh, concentration of obesity uh, medicine. And um, uh, tell me, tell me what you actually like, give me a couple of things that you that we don't know about, um, you know, that you found actually surprising, or, you know, you didn't even know yourself, haven't gone through it. Like, what are a couple of things that are important to know, but not commonly um, I guess, uh, understood that you, that you found, you know, uh, having gone through uh, your pursuit through obesity medicine? I'll start with what I think is maybe the most important thing I've learned with obesity medicine. Um, and maybe this is intuitive and obvious to others, but I think it took some formal training and lots of really smart people telling me this over and over to finally make it stick with me. But obesity really is not a personal problem. It is not an individual's fault. It is although they have some role in the choices that they make. For many mm-hmm. of us, the choices we make are subordinate to the choices that we have. And to me, mm-hmm. and what most of the data suggests is that obesity is largely an environmental and a societal-driven problem rather mm-hmm. than just an individual problem. Mm-hmm. And I think there are plenty of examples that point to that. But I think so often, and I, I'm guilty of this in my early career too, You have a a patient who has obesity come into your office, an easy thing to do is say, oh, you need to to lose weight. You need to work out more, you need to eat better, and you need to get the weight off and sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, wag the finger at them saying, this is your fault, you know. This is, you got this way, and so you need to get yourself out of it. Yeah. And, you know, as easy as that is to say, or, you know, I'm sure we all know somebody who, you know, struggles with weight. It is not that simple. I mean, there are Mm -hmm. some folks who can just, you know, flip the switch and make the change and are very, very successful. But the overwhelming majority of folks, it's not the case. And that's due to a myriad of things, but I think largely the food environment I think has made it incredibly easy to consume excess simple calories. And honestly, we have the perfect diet in America. The standard American diet, the SAD diet, is like the best way to generate obesity. Like it's the best way to 
to gain weight <laughs> and to gain fat. Like you couldn't come up with a better scientific protocol. If you look in like, yeah, yeah. mouse and rodent studies, how they like get people to be fat, they feed them simple sugars and lots of high energy fat. Mm-hmm. That's like basically what the processed food market is in the United States. Yeah. Know, simple sugars and like you can think of this as like, you know, little Debbies or Twinkies or like chips or French fries. like all this stuff is like carbohydrate simple carbohydrate laden with oils and fats to give it a very, very high caloric content. So Mm-hmm. You know, people will still try and do the best they can, but, you know, if you live in a neighborhood where you have to shop at Dollar General and mm-hmm. all your choices are processed food, mm-hmm. like, it's not an easy thing to just say, well, you know, I'm going to yeah. try and lose weight and I'm going to, you know, go an extra 20-mile drive, you know, to get to, you know, a real grocery store where I can buy, like, fruits and vegetables yeah. that if I don't cut up and eat in the next, like, three days, they're going to go bad and I'm going to throw them out. I mean, you can do that for a little bit and some people are successful at that, but that's a really tough sell for lots of people who don't have access to stuff like that. So when you see people, you know, in that state, they didn't choose to get there. They don't like being there. They don't want to be there. If it was easy to not be in that situation, they would have gotten out of it. And if it was easy to lose weight, we wouldn't have 10 million products selling you weight loss because people would all take the one that worked and move on with it. So I, I think... To me, understanding that it really, although there is some personal responsibility in it, the overwhelming majority of folks who suffer from obesity, it's not because of a lack of will. It's not because of a lack of wanting to do something about it. It's because it's incredibly difficult due to physiologic reasons. And it's, again, all these societal things that are basically all against them, generally speaking, because they have families who want to eat good, delicious food that's cheap and easy to make. Again, not usually weight loss promoting. So I think that's probably the most important thing I've learned is that really you need to have lots of empathy for these people, not wag the finger at them because they're looking for somebody to help them, not somebody yeah. to tell them that they're overweight and that if they don't do something, they're going to die and their blood sugars are going to get out of control. Like they've heard this a million times and you know, telling them again just, makes them feel worse about it. And, yeah. and, so I, and I think, too, in society, and, like, and I see this at the gym all the time, and, like, I used to, like, and, you know, I, obviously there are things I wish I didn't think, but you used to think, like, oh, man, I can't believe that, you know, overweight person here in the gym, like, using my mm-hmm. machine or whatever, and, like, totally the wrong way to think. Like, that person should be praised. Like, how difficult must it be to be in that situation and to get up enough self-esteem to go to a gym filled with, you know, lots of people who spend all their time there to look great. Like, wow, like, what a great thing they're doing for themselves. And so, like, Mm -hmm. being able to support people in that sort of environment, I think, is just so important. And Mm -hmm. I think our society just does a really good job of just sort of obesity shaming. And so I think Mm -hmm. one thing if we could fix, I think that would be the first thing, to sort of get them in a psychological state where, you know, they're not just expecting someone to look down upon them or, you know, to turn away or, you know, so I, I think there's just a lot of mental health that gets wrapped up in to the Definitely. physiology of obesity. So those yeah. are a couple things that you probably weren't expecting. But yeah. uh, I do think are end up being, you know, big drivers because I think at the end of the day, it's sort of an internal thing and a lot of physiology that's out of your control um, in terms of telling you what to eat and what to not eat. You know, and they've all tried diets. Like it's not like they're just, you know, unaware 
of their weight. They're very, very mm-hmm. aware. And so mm-hmm. I think being empathetic and finding ways to help them, I think it's just one thing that we could all do a better job of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks for uh, highlighting those points. And, uh, if it, you know, in a way, they're kind of reminders for us all, not just, you know, people that are not, you know, medically um, you know, medically versed, but also for us that are medically versed is where, you know, um, I think you hit it on the nail on the head with um, the phrase obesity shaming. And I think, you know, I, I totally 100% agree with you that, you know, it's not just, not only just a personal responsibility, um, but it's really what is presented in front of us, you know? And, you know, I mean, the food industry has gotten so large with such deep pockets from, um, you know, from sales of, you know, just products that are, you know, like you said, laden and full of really, really cheap, refined, processed carbohydrates and fats and high in calories. You know, they've gotten so big, these companies have gotten so big from these products that they sell that, you know, they can just keep, you know, creating more advertisement, create more TV commercials. And, you know, it's this never-ending cycle of, you know, you see commercials of all these snacks and then follow up, you see these commercials of all these pharmaceutical drugs to treat all these different problems that we've, you know, actually created. But, you know, it's, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's how we've gotten to a point in our society and a lot of different uh, pockets of the United States, for example, is where we call, you know, food deserts, where your access to food is so limited um, that you have to travel, you know, so far, you know, just to get actual real live, you know, wholesome um, you know, whole foods based, you know, foods, basically what mother nature, uh, intended us for us to eat, you know, to the point where, um, I remember watching a program, I think it was like Jamie Oliver, um, you know, uh, a few years ago and, uh, he visited a school uh, Jamie Oliver is a, a well, uh, well-known renowned chef. And, uh, you know, he actually, uh, for that program, he actually went to uh, the United States. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a Brit. And he went to a school in West Virginia, and he actually just did a simple demonstration to maybe first or second uh, graders. And I remember this distinctly, and this kind of like, you know, um, you know steered in my head where, you know, he just showed different models of, um, or actually real produce. You know, he brought fruit, he brought different varieties of, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables, and a lot of them didn't know what they were. You know, and so that kind of clicked in my head that we are so disconnected from, you know, how we used to live and how we used to eat um, and how we used to move, you know, not, not, you know, we don't move anymore, you know, and, um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's really astounding, you know, um, and the thing is that when we treat more and more generations, this is the reality that they know. You know, this is the reality that they grow up in. And so, you know, so I definitely agree with you. Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, and I guess the other uh, comment I'll add about the obesity thing, which I didn't realize until I had sort of gone to the meetings, um, but the other really concerning change in physiology when people gain weight and subsequently lose weight, and this was shown with the Biggest Loser group. So they actually did a research study with, I think it was like, I don't know, 11 or 15 of the Biggest Loser participants, 
And so they did all the metabolic measurements of when they were at their biggest, when they lost weight, and so they, you know, tracked body fat and everything else. And the concerning thing that they found was after they had lost weight, and these people have lost, you know, hundreds of pounds in a fairly short amount of time doing extensive exercising, totally changing their diet. But the interesting thing, so everybody lost a fairly significant amount of weight, and then virtually everybody gained some weight back, which is not uncommon. Because um, mm-hmm. weight maintenance tends to be the harder part of weight loss, surprisingly, rather than just losing the weight, but sure. being able to keep it off is usually the, the tough part. But the concerning thing is you can generally estimate the amount of calories that a particular body weight requires based on the amount of muscle mass and fat tissue and everything else. There's a pretty standard um, caloric predictors for those sorts of things. And so the the, the sad part with uh, the biggest loser uh, trial was that all these participants, after they lost all this weight, and then they sort of gained a little bit of a back, and it was, you know, maybe they gained 25 or 50 pounds of, you know, the couple hundred pounds they lost. They then checked their metabolic rate, and the unfortunate thing was the new weight that they had gotten to, so after they'd lost the, you know, one or 200 pounds, gained 50 of it back, the new body weight that they were at, if they then sort of equalized that body weight on what the expected caloric or caloric expenditure would be each day. So you can sort of, again, get an estimate of how many calories that body would burn. Mm-hmm. They burned 400 calories less than what you would predict that they should burn had they not gained all that weight and lost all that weight. So what that means is pretty profound. I mean, if we're talking that most people eat between, you know, 2,000 and 2,500 calories a day, for you to all of a sudden be limited to eating 1,600 to 2,100 calories every day for the rest of your life to maintain that new weight, I mean, you have taken a huge hit to your metabolism in terms mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. just the basic physiology. And so that's made weight maintenance incredibly, incredibly difficult. And again, mm-hmm. just more speaks to like how diligent you have to be about continuing to do the exercise and all the dietary stuff. But this, this, when they, they have a term for it called metabolic adaptation after all this sort of happens. And so, Again, just the idea that losing, like having to gain all that weight and lose all that weight actually still leaves you in a much harder spot than where you started at the beginning. So again, Mm -hmm. it emphasizes prevention, but it also, you know, explains why so many people struggle to keep the weight off because you're basically forever in this hole that you can't get out of. Yeah. And so that's one of of my fears I have for society as a whole because you're seeing obesity in younger and younger kids nowadays. And, you know, if you, you take this sort of pathology and you fast forward that, I mean, it's really, really difficult to get all those, that weight off and to keep it off all those people. So I think it's going to be yeah. a problem that we're going to struggle with for a while. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's why, like, preventing um, you reaching that point, you know, like if you are uh, in the normal weight classes, you know, or the overweight, you know, just doing your best to be able to prevent that onslaught of that extra weight and, you know, onslaught of, you know, essentially a, a new different type of physiology that your body has to go through just to be able to take on that much weight. Um, so, yeah, that is actually pretty enlightening. I, I appreciate you sharing that. No, I was going to say, and, you know, for the overwhelming majority of people, weight usually comes on in the form of just a couple pounds a year. Right, so almost indiscernible to most of us, but you know, if you just take Thanksgiving, you take the holidays, you know, it's real easy to gain a pound, maybe two, but we never really go through that famine phase or that, you know, starvation phase where you can sort of burn off some of that excess stuff. So 
I mean, one to two pounds over a decade is, you know, you're talking 20 pounds of body weight. Do that mm-hmm. for two or three decades, you know, you're 60 pounds overweight. And, you know, and that's in addition to your metabolism slowing and all those other things. So I think the really, maybe the saddest part to me about obesity is that not only do you have to go through all this process of gaining all the weight, then working incredibly hard to lose it, and even equally, if not harder, to maintain it. But again, going back to that prevention thing, to maintain your weight loss, you're basically exercising at least one, maybe up to two hours a day. And that's like the people who are successful are exercising that much just mm-hmm. to maintain their new higher weight. And mm. if you could just go back in time and just maybe have them do it in 30 minutes a day and changing mm-hmm. your diet a little bit, like how much could that have just been prevented and how much yes. would you not have to yes. work on the back end to do, you know, just to get to a, a portion of being of, of that normal semblance. And so, again, just the idea that you can have such an effect early on and you just have to work infinitely harder, you know, on the tail end. So, so emphasizing the prevention uh, part of it is what you're saying. Emphasizing the prevention or, you know, just taking note of where you're at right now. So maybe you are a couple pounds overweight or, you know, five or 10 or maybe 50, you know, whatever it might be, like it's never too early to start doing something. It's never too late either. But again, just the idea that you can have such a profound impact before it gets worse and that your efforts will be rewarded infinitely more and exponentially more actually, you know, to put Mm -hmm. in the work in the beginning rather than wait and then sort of be sort of stuck doing it indefinitely. Yeah. Which is I think a tough spot to be in. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we're going to kind of come to a close. Um, I want to, I want you to be able to give the audience members, you know, just kind of like a, a couple of takeaway points. Like what, what do you want to give, you know, for audience members listening in, like what can they do like today to be able to better their lives right now? Sure. Yeah. I can give you a couple. And I know we focused a lot on obesity Interestingly, my life actually doesn't spend tons of time in the obesity realm necessarily, but um, I'll give you a few good ones that I think are things that your audience can do literally right now and I think can have just profound impacts just on the quality of your life and just sort of day-to-day state of being. Um, So the first one I'll go with, and we we sort of touched on this earlier, so I think it's a good one, Um, but I probably would, would, would suggest that we find more ways just in daily life to be more empathetic. And this is empathetic to those around us, not necessarily even just people with obesity, but the guy who cut you off on the highway or the jerk in front of you at Starbucks who, you know, ordered all the stuff and now you have to wait, but also yourself. Like, I think we are so good at comforting others, like, you know, friends and family, you know, when something bad happens or if they make a mistake, we say, oh, you know, like, it's not that big a deal. Like, you know, you were trying really hard, you know, yada, yada, yada very supportive but then all of a sudden we make a mistake and we'll never let ourselves hear the end of it we'll replay yeah. that story over and over in our minds mm-hmm. and so i think empathy is such a powerful thing when you start to recognize that most people actually almost nobody is out there to try and get you or to hurt you there are a few mm-hmm. exceptions to that but in general like the guy who cut you off on the highway is not doing it to try and piss you off like 
doing it because he's anxious or irritable or had something bad happen or mm-hmm. is in a rush to get somewhere. You can concoct all sorts of like reasonable stories of what's going on in his life. Sure. So not so taking I, it personally. Not taking it personally, but I think just finding ways to say, hey, you know what? Like, I am not the center of the universe here. Like, other people mm-hmm. have other things going on. And like, you know what? I should give them a break. Like, their lives might be infinitely harder than mine. And I think we just never take the time to think about that or realize it. So giving ourselves pause, I think, just removes tons of stress and, like, anger out of your life. So I think that would be the first one. I think the second one that I'd suggest, and we didn't really touch on this, but it was one of my little pet projects and passions for a little bit, but this idea of being too busy in the world. I think it's arguably one of the most common excuses we give for anything that we don't feel like doing is, oh, you know, I'd love to do X. I'm just, I'm just too busy for that. Or, you know, yeah, when I, you know, I finish all this stuff and I'm not so busy, I'll get to it. And I think it's just really a great way of giving us an excuse for anything that we don't want to do. And so the challenge that I would give to any of your listeners out there would be to remove the I'm too busy from your vocabulary and replace mm-hmm. it with this is not a high enough priority to me right now. Yeah. What it does is a couple of things. Is one, it makes you think about what it is you're saying you don't want to do. And two, it also will put you in situations where you saying too busy doesn't feel so good. And like an easy example of this is, you know, say you come home from work, it's been a long day, your daughter's, you know, playing over in the bedroom and says, hey, you know, daddy, will you come play with me? And you're like, oh, you know, I've got to make dinner. And like, you know, I got some emails I got to send. You're like, oh, you know what, I'm just too busy. Like, you know, we'll play tomorrow night. And, like, just thinking that, like, at face value doesn't sound bad. But when you say, oh, you know what, it's not enough, it's not a high enough priority for me to play with you, that doesn't feel so good inside. Yeah. There's a reason for that. And so I think, again, just replacing that in your head, even not saying it aloud, but just taking that I'm too busy out of your vocabulary and recognizing that things in your life that you choose to do, you choose to do them because you made them priorities and things you choose not to do you've decided those are lesser priorities. And there's mm. nothing wrong with it because things like cleaning your blinds maybe aren't high priorities to you, totally appropriate. But I think at least gives you the chance to think about it consciously and say, is mm-hmm. this something that really is or is not a priority? Make a decision in whichever mm-hmm. manner it actually is. Mm-hmm. So, and then I guess the last one that I probably would say um, I've been a big, much bigger proponent of meditation and mindfulness than really have ever been previously. And I, I, to me, it, the observation that I've made is I think a lot of people in our world, including myself, I actually realize I'm quite an anxious person. Um, I think one of the ways you deal with anxiety is you work really hard and you accomplish lots of things because it feels good to be done with it. And then you can mm-hmm. sort of get that dopamine hit and move on. Same thing with text messaging, with emails, with everything. So the third sort of thing, take-home advice I'd say, is find ways where you can actively disconnect from technology. And I think an easy way to start that would be to say, like after dinner, no screens. That's no TV, no cell phone, no computer. I'm actually going to sit and be with the people who I supposedly care about the most in my life, my family and or my friends. Or I'm going to take some time for myself, maybe to go for a walk, to work out, whatever, take a shower, relax, read a book, any Mm. of those sorts of things. But I I think we spend an inordinate amount of time on cellular or screen devices. Now, in one, they disrupt your sleep from getting all the light. 
It makes it harder and more difficult to fall asleep. But two, I think it just feeds into this conscious or continuous cycle of anxiety of, oh, I need to respond to this text. Oh, yeah. let me go on Facebook. Oh, man, I'm missing out on all these great things. My life is so terrible yeah. and horrible. I think, you know, those things can be good to connect. But I think when you do that right before bed, you just spin all those anxiety wheels, just churning, churning, churning. And then you're mm-hmm. thinking about all these things. You're more worried. You're more upset. You're more depressed about how not Facebook lovely your life is. And so I think <laughs> if you can just find ways to sort of take that out of your day, at least for brief periods, I think you can find that you can actually enjoy life a whole lot more just by being present with the people around you than by just playing on your device. Yeah. So those would be the three. Hey, man, that was beautifully said. Um, and I'm really glad that you uh, – I'm the big proponent, you know, having, uh, you know, written uh, Thrive Medicine about, you know, anything mental and emotional well-being as, you know, in my opinion, really number one. And um, I love the fact that, you know, you're able to uh, remind us and emphasize these points. And, you know, in a way, you know, I love the fact that you reframed, um, you know, using the excuse – you know, I'm too busy or I have no time to, you know, it's not a high enough priority because in a way, um, and you probably already said this already, that, you know, it gives you pause to be able to see like, hey, you know, am I really, really devaluing this or I'm not putting, you know, enough value or I'm putting too much value in something versus something else, you know, like playing with your daughter. So I think that was a beautiful way of reframing that. So, but, um, you know, John, I really, really appreciate you coming by. Uh, thank you so much. I know you're a busy guy. And, um, you know, tell everyone where they can uh, look you up or uh, reach out to you. Well, um, so probably the easiest way, I'm not as big of a social media presence, which is good since I just gave advice on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. But, uh, I mean, I still have, you know, you can find me on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn, just Jonathan Bond at MD. I don't have a personal website or anything as of now. Um, but you can connect with me on any of those that's then user avenues. And I, I have a I have a Twitter handle. I I do almost nothing on it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram and some other things. But again, Facebook or LinkedIn are probably the best way to just Google my name, Jonathan Bonnet, MD, and it should come up. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, thanks again, brother. Um, it was good to hear from you. Uh, we're definitely see each other real soon. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming by. I really, really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, man. You know, I I can't say enough about all that you've done and all that you've accomplished. So it's a real honor to be here and always exciting to see what you're up to, man. (laughs) Thanks, man. Um, All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. This has been another episode of uh, Thrive Bites. And, uh, you know, check back weekly for new uh, and updated uh, episodes. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Hey guys, if you enjoyed this, don't forget to check back to our part one. Hey guys, that was another episode of Thrybytes. If you liked that episode, please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.